This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's a hard fade. Uh, Very, very good afternoon to you all out there. It's that special place that we've just all arrived at, ladies and gentlemen. And it's so good to have you on this particular time. It's Sunday, Arvo. (laughs) What are you doing? Oh, you're chopping wood. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Jed McCartney, lovely to see you here today. Thanks, Cam. It's lovely to be here. It's good to be in a warm studio, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's much better than uh, being outside today. Um, it's a funny old thing, folks, hasn't it? It's uh, The seasons have finally switched over, it seems. Well, it certainly has for today. Calamity about to befall us, apparently. There's winds coming and uh, small children blowing off into the wind. <laughs> so if you have small children, hold on to them. Hold on to that child. But, to, yeah, they're talking, the weather people were talking about power lines, perhaps right. power outages happening, don't stand under trees. That's the only reason we have the three-year-old chained down at home. It's not a normal thing, <laughs> believe nice, me. Nice. All those child protection people. Yeah, nice. don't do it all the time. Good to get the tent pegs. And uh, that laugh <laughs> that you might be able to hear from, uh, well, for me anyway, it's, uh, it's to the left. Uh, we have in the studio Jesse Scoop. <laughs> Here we go, Cam. Here you go. <laughs> Here we go. Um, so I'm, uh, of course, referring to you as uh, Scoop Gurner because something amazing, something unprecedented in this town happened last week, and uh, and you were a part of it. I did, Cam. It was it was really amazing, actually. It was um, I was fortunate enough to rub shoulders. Thanks to you. With, um, with the great. <laughs> with the, the great greats. and the good. And the good. Uh, at, the, at the world's top 50, it was a, a, such an amazing night, to be honest. I was um, <laughs> in awe. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, it was at the Exhibition Centre in Carlton Gardens. Yeah, and, um, and we might draw you out on that in... Uh, in a bit. In a bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, an incredible time. Oh, those that haven't met Jesse Gunner, of, of course, a restaurateur around town, uh, the patron of, of such places. That, let's see if I'm saying this right. Anyada. That's right. Oh, I yeah. did okay. Well done. Ha. Uh, Bomba. And, of course, Green Park, uh, just down the road from here, if you want a coffee. Although, I think there won't be many people playing outside in the <laughs> yeah. playground today. No, it's a new playground going in, Cam, actually. Really? The, yeah. Adventure? Yeah, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> it was pretty good to start with. It'll be uh, super. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's looking pretty good. <clears throat> oh, and also while we're here, we also have to... Big ups and thanks to you, Jed, because you're looking after the... Uh, uh, looking after the uh, the kitchen, shall we say? Um, standing over the uh, just next to the fridge, uh, making sure that the uh, microwave and the stove's turned up all right because uh, Matt Steadman is away, enjoying himself. I, I like to think of it as being your uh, sous chef, Ken. Yeah, that's okay. Well, it, uh, Matt was instantly pr- um, promoted a couple of footy seasons ago to uh, grand chef de cuisine. Ooh. So, but sous chef's good. He's got the black pants on. Yeah, yeah, you it's know, good. which that's status. Yeah, it's don't, a don't mess. Saucier. <laughs> hey, don't mess with the saucier. <laughs> um, now, what have I got? Oh, I've just got to do a couple of things, um, and I want to um, ask you about this. First of all, uh, across the road, big ups to Milkwood. Um, if you're here on Nicholson Street, corner of Blythe, there's just this little milk bar. Uh, probably most famous for the fact that Rupert Murdoch was just one day just having lunch out the front of it, which was sort of like. 
seeing an evil dark <laughs> unicorn across from you. But he wasn't looking to take over Triple R, was he? Yeah, for um, development. He probably <laughs> was. <laughs> he probably went, ah, I can't I'm going back. I'm going to see if I can marry Jerry Hall. Uh, but big ups <laughs> to them. Milkwood for the $4 croissant. And it's good too. How much do you charge for a croissant? Plain. Ah, a four fifty, yeah, five yeah. bucks. I see, think. four yeah. bucks, and it's okay. Yeah. Anyway, watch out. Com- you should see the lineup. I just walked past. It was mm. it was solid over there. Wow. Yeah, well, it's, it's a good place. Now, um, one. So anyway, big ups to them. And I just thought, I'm happy if I just get a warm hot croissant, able to dip it in a coffee. I don't even need much more than that no. in the morning. Perfect. Anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, whatever. Okay. Uh, <laughs> now, one thing I did want to talk about, maybe we can tease this out before we go to the San, uh, San Pellegrino top 50 best restaurants in the world, the joy of mussels. Mm. A protein which I think a lot of people maybe don't cook enough of, uh, but they're so easy and they're so good for you. And I, That's so good. I was cooking some last night. How, how would you approach a mussel if you were going to do some mussels? Are you a red sauce kind of guy? Would you be putting tomatoes in there or would you maybe be looking towards the French and white wine and cream? Oh, look, I, I like it many different ways. But, do you know, at, at home when we have mussels, a lot of the time I'm chucking them on the barbecue actually, <gasps> like just straight on. Yeah. Turn them over, they pop open and then put a sauce through at the end. So we'll, I'll make... Uh, mm. Like yeah. at home, we'll have a moho or, or like a you know a green sauce basically yes. um, with a bit of cumin, you know, parsley, boom, yeah, a little bit of garlic and olive oil in it, and just throw something like that through it. Or if I'm going in a pan, a lot of the time, like I, I really like it quite simple, you know, with um, garlic generally. Mm. Manzanilla is amazing from like with a you know like a little sort of savoury booze element to it. Yeah, because the French a lot of the times they'll do a little bit of white wine. Yeah. And not often red wine though. I don't think red's quite right with mussels, but... Yeah. yeah so a bit of manzanilla just to... Yeah. yeah. Just to get it going. Um, but yeah, look, you can even, with the tomatoes with a bit of sausage or um, on a cold day like today or, um, I mean, a lot of time with harissa through it too, a bit of spice, Boom. Yeah. a bit of chilli. Um, love mussels, eh? But it's, 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 I've got to say, it's, if you're going to be shopping under the fluorescent lights of one of the, the great duopoly that we're <laughs> inflicted with in this country, um, you'd never touch anything from the seafood thing. I mean, you'd just be cra- crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but those packets of, what is it, sea bounty mussels from Lance Whiffen, which is just across the road, or the bay, I should say, um, Ballerine Peninsula, 10 bucks for one of those. Amazing. Rock. Yeah. Yeah, it's just fantastic. Me, I did, uh, what do I do? Onions, garlic, some chilli. I had some chipotle hanging around, so I have a little bit of that just chucked in there. Beautiful. Um, And then chuck in the mussels, chuck in a couple tins of of diced tomatoes. Yum. Boom. Yeah, yeah. Finish off with coriander, a little bit of lime juice. Um, And also the other thing that I wanted just to mention before we get into uh, top 50 restaurants... There's something about garlic bread and, and, and just the, the notion of, you know, we talk about mindfulness and there's that whole notion of, you know, losing yourself. That's one of the great things about cooking. Yeah. I, was, I was thinking about that yesterday. So simple. You're just doing the same thing. Bread, butter onto the bread, put it onto the foil. Yeah. And after, you, you're not thinking about your problems when you're doing that. 
That's true. <laughs> and that's just meditation. It's the great thing about cooking, isn't it, Yeah, Jesus? it is. Do you know, go, jumping back quickly to mussels, we got mm. learned when we were in, uh, in Tasmania. We went out to, on Spring Bay on the water. Yeah. And um, one of the old sea dogs, the captain of the boat, was like, was that, no, you didn't say that. Yeah, almost, basically. Arr, there's Jesse, the, there's about six chefs on there. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and he was like, I'll show you guys how to cook mussels. He really? pulled them out of the water, put them in a bag with a bit of seawater, like straight off the rope yeah. into the microwave yeah. for, for a minute. And like, dink. And, and the shells and, don't explode? No, well, no. it was, and um, <clears throat> I mean, they were actually quite. Not, we're all sitting there going, "Who's this bloke? Hey, what's, but, this, <laughs> what's this guy on about?" <laughs> but I mean, obviously, straight out of the water, you know, cooked so in its fresh. own water, basically. So it was um, pretty amazing. Well, I remember that was another thing when um, I went out on the water ages ago with Lance Whiffin, and he said, "Cook the mussels first, and then you can take off the beardies without yeah. ripping Just pull them out, the, the yeah. hell out of it." Anyway. 2017 Top 50 Awards, you were part of the media. Scoop. I was. Scoop. I was yeah. a scoop. Yeah. Yes, I um, <clears throat> I was part of the media. I had a green what, band. What, yes, green um, band. So, so you went across to... To the Exhibition Centre. So um, rocking... The Royal Exhibition Royal, Buildings. Yes, in, uh, in Carlton, in the gardens there. It was yeah. amazing. It was all lit up with sort of purple lighting walking up there. Really? Hundreds of people everywhere. Really? Buses and, you know, the odd fancy car pulling up. Yeah, um, I'm amazed there weren't helicopters landing in the, you know, yeah, in the forecourt. <laughs> on the roof. Yeah, yeah. Um, Balance yeah, look, on the dome. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and <coughs> <coughs> it was amazing. There was... a about a thousand people there, I think nine hundred plus. Whoa. Um, the great and the good, and this yeah. is. And let's face it, this is kind of amazing in the fact that, as I was sort of reflecting on it, these are so, these are the superheroes. Yeah, the superheroes. It's like the DC universe of, um, or the Marvel universe of, of cooks and restaurateurs in the land, and they were all here. Uh, I was, I was in awe. I was sort of like when I first walked in. You walk in. I was a bit nervous getting my green wristband on the way in. On somebody else's ticket. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. Uh, partly that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then we big long red carpet, and then a media wall. But then getting past that was you turning around, and it was just all the people there, all the inspired chefs that you know that you read about and and you eat at in their restaurants. Mm. We're all there. Everyone was actually really relaxed. It was. Really well done up. As as you walk in before the seating place where the awards were on, Neil Perry was like arming his kitchen, which were like shucking oysters and because yes. he got doing... the contract to to cook for everyone or to provide food for everyone. Yeah, wasn't it? yeah, and it was um, yeah. it was great when I was walking in. He was standing in the kitchen by himself, the little central <laughs> kitchen. Oh, anyway, just just in case anybody's been born under a rock, who's Neil Perry? So Neil Perry is obviously. One of the legends in Australia, you know, Rock Paul. Yeah. Um, if you're in the front of a Qantas flight, you probably get to have his food. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, front and end think, of the plane. Yeah, he's he's just been a huge stay in Australian food. Um, sort of marched, you know, along that whole Asian fusion yeah. thing for a while there with um, what was it, the Woks. Wokpool. Uh, Wokpool, that's it. And also, um, his, um, did you ever see, the, he wrote a book about um, Chinese cuisine, um, about Balance and Harmony. Yeah, that's Big right. Big book, one of the best books on Chinese food ever done. 
and because his dad was a butcher and he used to go to Chinatown um, in Surrey Hill. So, yeah, that was imbued in him. But, but a very, very important person. He was cooking shucking oysters for everyone. Yeah. Working so, hard. Yeah, the, and, there was, and it was just really nicely done. As you walk in the kitchen, there was a huge amount of ice with oysters all over it. There was Bloody a bit of caviar hell. going around. Really? Was, Did you get any of that? Uh, I didn't actually get onto that. I was, no. um, I was, I was too... Too busy running around getting scoops, Cam. Scoop, <laughs> um, scoop. <laughs> Did um, you have the hat on with the press and the, oh, no, the headband? I, I, I was going to go for that, but um, <clears throat> no, I lost it on the way in, unfortunately. Yeah, um, yeah. No, so yeah, and then there was a huge, uh, huge argy of, of beef lying across the back of the kitchen, and that's an Argentine, of course, which, yes, which means yeah, all like, the primal cuts together. Yeah, yes, um, and then sort of. As you look to cooked, the, a cooked argy. No, just a. Oh, just, just there it is. A resting, yeah, just man in his meat exhibition. Yeah, yes, okay, yeah, got it, it was great. Yes, yeah. showing, showing his meat. Yes, um, and then, Off. and then, uh, yeah, a couple of bars. The Melbourne Gin Company were were in. Got a good gig. Fine form, yeah. Some yeah. great Negronis and GNTs, really? yeah. Um, How many did you have? Maybe two. Maybe two. <laughs> <laughs> just, to, just to relax Maybe. myself. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and then um, then we all sort of mingled, you know, bumped into some uh, Virgilio Martinez, who I was lucky enough to do some dinners with a couple Who's of years. He? He's from, uh, from Central yes. in um, Peru. Yeah. Um, He's a skateboard dude. No, 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 that's the he, other one. Yeah, he, he's the uh, he's the patron, the father. Yeah, yeah. So, no, well, no, no. He he maybe he was a skater back in there. He's quite young. Him and um, Pierre's wife. Um, mm. They're the guys that go out into the Andes and find oh the super foragers. Yeah, super foragers. Yes. Yeah, and, yes. um, gone for days at a time. Yeah, and so Where's they'll take gone? photos of the areas that the, the they do their foraging in, and then when they plate, they'll use the colours of. The the micro environments that those ingredients are found from. It's, it's quite smart. really another. You've you're in another league, yeah. aren't you? When yeah. when when you're with people like that, it's quite incredible. So so it's just I imagine just looking around this huge space that we have that is the exhibition buildings. It is. It would have been like just star spotting. <laughs> it like was. There's it another was. one. I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. And look, it, <clears throat> to be honest, it did take a couple of minutes to sort of take a deep breath and just sort of wander up. But everyone was very friendly. It was all... Mm. Um, everyone was there for having a really good time. I think, the, you know, the, yeah. there's obviously competition on, but there's it was done then. But it the was, results you know, are in. There's nothing you can do yeah, about exactly. it. So it's just like, so, well, we may as well just have a good time. Yeah, yeah, so everyone and had a couple did, of wines. didn't they? Yes. And yes. then the awards were on. Yeah. Um, we all just sat down and um, it was it was, a, it was very well hosted, actually. It was very funny. He sort of apologised. Who was that guy? Something dirt and something or yeah, other. Dirt. Uh, he was a double-barreled man. He doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, he was, he from, was from very... He was, was very English. Hello, how do you do yeah, You know who I thought it was? It was like Boris Johnson's <laughs> yeah, yeah. brother. Brother. Yeah. Because he yeah. very much had that sort of blustery of, <laughs> yeah, I've been to Cambridge, you know, <laughs> and things like that. And he was 
I'm a bit witty and stuff. Yes, and it sort of mispronounced everyone's names and gave, had a good laugh. About, and, and gave Ben, ben Shuri um, hassled him about his shoes and, and said yeah, that white I got my shoes at Target, which was quite a, a bitchy thing to do, I thought. Yes, yes. But um, So anyway, he he, uh, he did it in a, in a rapid-fire kind of way, had to get yeah. through 50 restaurants, which so he did pretty well. basically everyone would just stand up when they're... Um, <clears throat> when their name was called and just have a bit of a wave. It wasn't, there wasn't many people actually going up onto stage. I noticed that every chef, the chefs in there, they had designated, like you were part of the media, yes. and so you had a green tag. The yep. chefs all had red scarves yes. to yeah. go with the, the shit hot ones. Yeah. Swear yep. job, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> gone. Um, yeah, so the, and they all sat... Mm. They all sat... Um, Right at the front of the stage, yeah. Um, so all with their red scarves on. It was a, it was a amazing sight actually. Like just, and then f- back from that, there was other sh- chefs, friends and family, sponsors mm. of the mm. of the gig, yes. and then media pushed back into oh, the, back in the cattle court. Thing. <laughs> yeah. I noticed it, it, with interest, it, immensely. Whatever happened to trophies? I mean, yeah. For God's sake, I mean every bloody trophy you see, they do like a thing of perspex with a. <laughs> You know, on sort of a plinthy thing with the thing so it's see-through. Pretty cheap. Yeah. Anyway. You want a gold one, do you think? Yeah, something, or like yeah. a frying pan or something. Yeah, or a frying a, pan a, would be... A, a, a copper pan would cost a, the same. A sous vide thing or something. I don't know, anyway. But mm. um, so the the awards went out. We were very, very happy to see that Ben Shuri um, had gone up a place to 32 from 33 from Attica. That was great. And Dan out of Bray, 44. From 66. Amazing. The, both the guys were so excited about where they... Where they go, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sorry, I was going to say finish that thought. I was just going to say I wanted to... I just wanted to say I'm going to jump in, Jesse. Um, I was lucky enough to be at uh, Fed Square and the great thing was that there was a cheer ah. that went up for both of them and it was um, it was a beautiful thing to see. Melbourne was so excited about yeah. the event, I think. All right, give me the guys. After parties, what happened? Yeah, so we went to um, Neil Perry's new gig where mm. Com used to be. Yeah, in Alfred uh, Place. Alfred Place, mm. yeah. and um, <clears throat> Fabulous premises. Yeah, there was a DJ and everyone was there. Everyone had a good dance. There was a bit of spraying of champagne. It was dancing debauched. On the, it, was, it was just debauched, on the wasn't bar. it? It was very debaucherous, yeah. Yeah. Um, I had to stick around to get more scoops, Cam. Yeah, go scoop. Um, yeah. <clears throat> what scoops did you get? I got a few scoops. Who's in um, the lose? Who's in the toilet? Uh, no, we can't go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, go on. Uh, no, no, we, um, we, we had a great time. And everyone just let their hair down and, and, and enjoyed themselves and... and you know, like it. I mean, there's a lot of egos at the end, end of the industry, and uh, you didn't really see that at the after party. It was, it was, it was, it was there, great. Well, I think Melbourne can be very, very proud because it's the only time it's ever come to the Southern Hemisphere. It's only been in one other city. Started off in London, was in New York last year, and we got it here in Melbourne, which was great. Yeah, no, it was. Right. Um, yeah, amazing. Now we've got a uh, a word. Oh, thank you very very much for being our uh, representing us uh, here on Eat It Scoop. Any time, next time you can fly me over to the next one, can you? Like. Yeah, no worries. We'll, t- we'll talk to the management about that. Won't, won't be Jed. See, we're going now. Um, uh, the uh, the name uh, Ukitaro Kagehashi. Kagehashi. Yes. Kagehashi son. Yes, the why Roland. Is th- why is that name so? This is just a complete tangent. Boom, go for it. Well, yeah, well, he was the chap, the um, very 
bright spark who who basically invented Roland since and all the Roland bits and pieces who has just passed unfortunately we could say he's the guy that democratized the sound for electronic music because beforehand you had to have first of all i had to engineering degree and you had to work out how to program these bloody moogs that's right and then all of a sudden there were things like the 303 the great bass thing and he invented of course the 808 and i thought what perfect song to do hit it jen is this one Yes, Triple R sponsors it is indeed. Uh, just, uh, Jed, we've got an interesting text from Bushy here from, of course... Greening the Apocalypse, yeah. my normal gig. Yes, uh, Cam and Jed on the radio, two of the best blokes on the R's. Oh, you're too kind, mate. And uh, Bushy says, I should get out of the rain, put down the chainsaw and neck piss. Well... You should. You should. Light that fire, buddy. Light that fire. Um, food quote of the, uh, of the day I found from this guy, Brian Miller of the New York Times, 23rd of the 10th, 1983. The qualities of an exceptional cook are akin to those of a successful tightrope walker. An abiding passion for the task, courage to go out on a limb, and an impeccable sense of balance. And maybe we could add to that just an understanding of the food and how it behaves and why it does. And I think we could probably describe Wiley Dufresne, who's uh, was a top 50 chef. Um, WD50 is closed now that was in New York, but you hear about that. He's about to do donuts. But I was lucky enough to speak to someone great and good and uh, and we bring this interview to you. Jed, you ready to hit it? I am. Let's hit it. Wiley Dufresne, a very, very good morning and thank you very, very much for taking some time to have a chat to us. Good morning. Happy to be here. Thank you. Um, let me be one of, uh, well, I guess one of many to, uh, to welcome you to this land down under and uh, to this place that we call... The glorious Prague of the South here, the cultured capital. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm happy to be here. Uh, Melbourne is lovely. We've had a good time so far. So we've, we've been well received. Thank you. Let's give the listeners a little bit of an idea of, of who you are and, uh, first of all, where you came from. It's kind of funny. The, uh, your, your birthplace uh, reminds me of the, the start of uh, an Eagles song. You uh, came from Providence, uh, one in Rhode Island, is that correct? <laughs> I, I, I was born in Providence, Rhode Island. I, came, I grew up uh, uh, in New York City, but yeah, born, born in New England um, and, and found my way to New York when I was about uh, seven years old. Yeah. What a beautiful part of the world that is. Uh, New York or? No, no, I'm thinking more than <laughs> off. Upstate New, New York, the New, New England. Is, New England is beautiful, yes. I love New England. Uh, we, we have a home in New England as well as in Manhattan, and I love, uh, yeah. I like New England very much. Yeah, it's great. And, uh, and where are we? We're in spring now up there, and um, yeah, it must be, must be a beautiful thing. But not as, not as gorgeous as uh, the autumn colors are in the show that you get up there. Uh, yeah, fall fall in New England is fantastic. It's great. Um, it's a it's a nice time of year. Uh, seasonally good for good for ingredients. Um, it's it's great. You know, end of summer, beginning of fall is is certainly a favorite time for sure. Yeah, it is a beautiful thing. So, the cooking. I mean, your your dad was a restaurateur. Is that correct? 
Uh, yeah, my my dad was in the restaurant, still is in the in the food service restaurant business, um, and that's uh, sort of how I got my start working in in kitchens uh, at eleven. I started when I was eleven, but it was it was really much later in life that I decided to make a career out of it, other than it just being a sort of a summer job. It's something you did for pocket money during uh, during the holidays, huh? Exactly, exactly. But but later in life when. Between uh, summers in in uh, in college was when I I really sort of got the bug. Between my uh, junior and senior year of college, I I finally worked in a real legitimate restaurant, and that's when it it dawned on me that this was something that I was going to really enjoy doing. This could be a career. I could we could pursue this. Uh, well, you know, it's that time in in your life when you're supposed to pick a career and I hadn't really done anything else that I enjoyed as much as as working in kitchens besides besides playing sports and I was never going to be a professional athlete I don't possess any of the uh, necessary natural abilities to to take it to that level but I was able to find much many of the same life lessons that that exist in sports uh, in the kitchen and so that's what really drew me to it in your career of, of cooking you you embarked on, shall we say, like the molecular cuisine, the, the scientific approach to, uh, to cooking, we could, we could say. But in, in a lot of ways, you've got to know the rules before you can break them, don't you? How did, how did you start learning about food, seriously? Well, I, you know, it wasn't that I necessarily wanted to break the rules, but it was that I wanted to understand what was happening. And you, mm. sort of the traditional culinary education of a, of a cook didn't always it, it was more about how to cook and not so much why why to cook this way or that way and so we just realized that we didn't we had a, a very good knowledge on one level but a very empty knowledge on another we knew how to do things we knew how to roast a chicken we knew how to poach an egg we knew how to keep our green beans green but we didn't really know why we didn't know why we were doing those things the way we were other than sort of the standard answers, which are things like, well, that's how we've always done it, or it works that way. Or look it up in your escoffier. Or, well, or as the chef would often say, because that's how I told you to do it. And, yeah. and that's, that's, you know, that's okay for a young cook who needs to sort of know to just let, get the ball rolling. But as you get older and, and, and you want a sort of deeper, richer understanding of your craft, it doesn't, those explanations don't offer much. And so we set about trying to add... Again, like we know how to make pasta, we know how to roast a chicken, all these things, but we don't necessarily know why we're doing them the way we are, other than they're just sort of the, the dogmatic explanations that don't that don't offer much. And so we were interested in understanding and rounding out our education. And so to that end, we began to realize that cooking, well, what is cooking? In order to study it, we need to figure out what it was. And it turns out cooking is, in fact, science. It's certainly yeah. some biology, certainly some physics, but it's a lot of chemistry. Lot of and, yeah. But we're not scientists. We're not chemists. So we had to go outside of our our field in many ways and 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 make develop relationships and talk to other people because there's a lot of people out there in the world who know a lot about the science of food um but it's still uh relatively young in some ways uh and and in terms of chefs actually understanding what they're doing we're, we're just in sort of the beginning phases of that there's a the great irony in that you can go to the world's great restaurants and in in a way you could say that, that we chefs don't know what we're doing. 
Um, and, and that's both true and, of course, with a giant asterisk next to it. But there's an accuracy there because you, we, 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 we haven't known really the sort of – or understood exactly what's happening when you poach an egg or sear a steak or the, the thousands of things that go on every day. You know, And, and understanding those variables and understanding how turning the knob to the left and to the right and how that will affect your outcome – and realizing that there's no – that there's ultimately no right or wrong way to do something but a more or less informed way to do it. And so that was really what we were after. Or you could say a considered way of doing these sort of things. Yeah, we just we, – we want to understand how we can control things because, you know, the way you like – you might like an egg poached at uh, – 64 degrees Celsius for an hour and 35 minutes and I might like it at 66 degrees for 30 minutes and nobody's right and nobody's wrong but understanding that raising the temperature and decreasing the amount of time and how it's going to affect this and that and what happens when you cook an egg and the fact that when you cook an egg, you're actually cooking an egg white and an egg yolk, and they both happen to cook at different temperatures. And so, there, you know, those are things that maybe. I, I mean, I remember I had been a professional cook for a long time before it occurred to me that those two things. Not that it occurred to me before it was brought to my attention that those two things don't cook the same way. Mm-hmm. I just sort of assume when you poach an egg that the egg white and the egg yolk are cooking. But, <laughs> but all of those things are very exciting. And, you know, an environment and an opportunity to continue learning is, is, is great. And that's what cooking affords anyone, really, the opportunity to learn forever. You know, we're never going to understand it all. So that's, that to me is very fun and very exciting. The thing about living and getting old is that the older you get, the more you know, the less you know. Would, would you agree with that? Well, yes. I mean, that's the classic, right, the age-old thing. The more it's, you realize. It's, it's a cliche, but cliches are kind of useful, aren't they? Because yes, because you do realize that, you, you, you know, the, the more you know, the less you know. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's – but for us, the, the opportunity is there to keep, to keep trying to learn, to keep mm. chipping away at this giant block of ignorance in the hopes of learning – more about it. And, and along the way, we discovered a lot of fun things, a lot of fun ingredients, a lot of fun equipment. And that's what has allowed us to, to think uh, creatively and do some fun stuff. Was it sort of like a cathartic realization or, or as you're sort of alluding to, it was just a, a gradual sort of thing along the way? Well, I, I mean, I can remember when it happened in terms of a time period but it wasn't a mo- it wasn't a day there wasn't one day but i remember that it was you didn't have like a, it wasn't the poached egg epiphany for instance well no but I mean, those those epiphanies keep happening yeah. which is what's what's exciting but mm. um you know it was it was the late 90s when i began you know to start to strike out on my own and i'd worked for some of the great chefs of the world and had a wonderful education but it became clear to me as i was in a position to start thinking about food and i was being asked to, to, to teach my staff and my team how to do this that I ultimately I couldn't answer all the questions and, and not for myself neither for myself nor for them and so that was when I realized that we needed to sort of change our approach so mm. that we could we could be you know more learned about it because it really was the vanguard people were on the vanguard of that era weren't they and you think about in your library at home, have you got a copy? I'm just asking the most obvious question, but a copy of McGee, for instance. I have several copies of McGee, yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm just wondering, was that like a big uh, c- 
catharsis or epiphany when you finally when you got that tome and started dipping your toes into that? Well, that was a, that was a very helpful in in, mm. in sort of shedding light on the darkness, and you know, isn't and it? and realizing that the, that there was someone who was also trying to help. Mm. You know, that there there were other people that were curious. I mean, that was the thing. I'm a curious person, and once I realized that there were other people that were curious about the same subject, I began to, you know, reach out. and And over the years, Harold's become a friend, and I'm honored honored to say that. And he's wow. been very helpful in in terms of understanding, you know, helping chefs understand what what we're doing. You know, it's like finding your tribe, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's always nice when you find people that are that, that are like minded. Similarly curious, and that you can talk to about something, you know. Sympathical. Yeah, I think people. I think that mm. that's normal. That's human nature to 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 seek that out and to also appreciate it when you do encounter it. Can you tell us uh, about the the genesis of of the restaurant WD Fifty and maybe uh, some of the things that you achieved and dishes that you did there? Well, WD Fifty was was designed conceived as a place where we could continue our culinary education, where we as the as cooks where could continue our culinary education, where the front of house could con- continue their culinary education, where diners could continue their culinary education should they choose to do so. I mean, it was built. Um, almost exclusively with that idea. I mean, of course, it's a restaurant. Of course, it's a business. It's a place to come and experience hospitality and, and hopefully good food. But a lot of the decisions we made were uh, in an effort to create an environment where everybody could learn, where everybody could contribute, where um, there was where we were trying to create opportunities for learning. Where was it, and what did it look like? The restaurant. Yeah. The restaurant was on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, um, and I don't think that it necessarily looked any different than any other restaurant. Um, open kitchen, kitchen in the back? It had a, a, a semi-open kitchen in the back of the, the restaurant. You could walk right in, and it was, yeah. it was a very pretty, you know, nice, shiny kitchen. Um, 50, 60 diners? There was about 70, 70. seats. Yeah. Um, you know, two levels with the, the the restrooms and the prep kitchen and the wine cellar and all that downstairs. Again, it was a relatively standard sort of layout, but it was you know we tried to have the right the right design, the right equipment, the right philosophy to to help us um, have an environment where we could where we could all grow. Yeah, and. And that continued into Alder, and that continues into you know all the all the you know the, the, that's our same approach, our same thought process with Alder, which unfortunately had a short life, but was no less um, you know uh, eager to pursue that same sort of approach. And then as we go forward with the donuts and and and, and elsewhere, we're still keeping alive. I mean, WD Fifty's gone and 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 you know leveled to the ground and re- rebuilt upon, but. Mm. Um, hopefully, you know, we're coming out with a cookbook about the restaurant in the fall. So some people will get to, okay. that are curious will get to see see some of that uh, come back to life. But, but all, you know, it, it, the, all the things that we started, we pushed a snowball down the hill and it's still rolling. So, you know, it will roll forever. Nice metaphor. I like that. So what were the um, some of the highlights or the dishes that were created within that space? What was behind that? I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know that as, you know, it's always difficult when you're on the inside looking out versus when you come as a diner. So for me, I don't, I think more general terms. I don't think of dish A or dish B. I think of, again, our, our, our understanding of something simple and humble like an egg that, that grew to, to very, that grew over the years. And we began to do all sorts of different, fun, interesting things as we learned and understood more about, 
about eggs. You know, there there were again, it was it was ingredients. I guess for me, it's more big picture. I can talk about a dish and how how relevant the dish was, but at the end of the day, for me, it was. Uh, learning about uh, things like sous vide and the applications of that, understanding, you know, ingredients deeper, you know, an increased understanding of the anatomy of of various sea creatures. And, you know, there's all sorts of things that we we did and pursued and tried to, to understand. And it was... It was just really, it was really fun. It was great, you know. Um, but, and there are always going to be people that say, oh, this was the dish that did it for me or that was the dish or I came. And, and I'm glad that those people have those moments. But for me, it's, it's, it's more big picture. It's the people I met, the relationships I forged. Milestones on the way to the destination. Yeah, in, in a way, in a way, yeah. You know, with, with the understanding that, that you might not ever reach that destination. An example, Heston Blumenthal, for instance. Sure. Great scientific backing. Yep. But what I really, really dig and love about Heston Blumenthal is that he can evoke the wonder and joy of a seven-year-old in his food. Do you sort of... Food as evocation or food, you sure. know? Sure. I think, I think that... I think that any time you go to a restaurant and it's a great restaurant, it has it's it's layered. A great restaurant has layers, mm. and that can be fine dining or casual dining. That can be a, a you know a cart on the corner, yeah. but a or, great or a donut. Uh, well, yes, but yeah. a great experience has layers, and the more layers you can incorporate into a restaurant, yes. the richer the experience. And a lot of those layers for me involve things like humor. Um, yeah. childhood memories, geography, regional dishes, things like that. And and so, yes, to answer your question, I believe yes. I mean, I think what I love about Heston and Heston's food is it, that it, it, it's very personal, but it's very playful and doesn't take itself too seriously. But he's got certain memories from his childhood that he wants you to experience. And I think that that's great. And, you know, we try to take, you know, whether it's a Bagel and cream cheese, a classic New York thing, or an eggs Benedict, which is a childhood memory for me, yeah. or all sorts of things, you know. And so, I, again, in, in an effort to create layers, I think that things like humor, memory, mm. uh, previous life experiences, all that, yes, the answer is yes. That all adds to the richness that makes up a great dining experience. It's sort of similar to Ben Shuri, who's very much about allegory and metaphor in his cooking, I think we could say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we just dined there two days ago. It was lovely. And, and you see that whole thing, how he's sharing things that he's excited about that mean something to him. Mm. And when you do that and you do that well, it makes for a very rich experience for the diner. And pretty amazing when you think he just renovated his restaurant with his dad... Yeah, with no, his he, brothers with no, nail bags on, my it God. It was crazy. He told us in 15 days how they how they did it. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, what, pretty a, what a, what a guy, a huh? Guy. Guy, I he? love Ben. Yeah, yeah. He's a great, great man. You sure. need to talk to me about donut. Why the donut? My great-grandfather was a donut maker. It's been something that I've enjoyed and been part of my childhood. We ate a lot of donuts growing up. I mean, I come from New England where donuts have have always enjoyed a, a place. Donut shops and, and crullers? Yeah, donuts, crullers, crullers, all that stuff. You know, I mean, I'm not a, necessarily a big Dunkin' Donuts guy, but Dunkin' Donuts started in New England. and um, or an avant-garde Krispy Kreme guy. Uh, yeah, I, what are you going to do? I'd rather go to Dunkin' Donuts than Krispy Kreme, to okay. be honest. Yeah. But... Um, 
I'm more of a cake donut guy than a yeast donut, um, and uh, they don't really do a lot of cake donuts at, at Krispy Kreme. But yeah. no, we're gonna have some fun as well. We're gonna try to do, do the same thing that we've been talking about: bring some old old childhood memories to bear, bring some very familiar donut experiences that people have, and then hopefully build on that and add 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 to that with some some clever applications as well. We're we're very excited. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Looking forward to seeing that from, well, another hemisphere, but uh, we, we do look forward to it. I've got one more question. Sure. Because um, you're going to be dragged off um, for something fantastic, no doubt. I like asking this question, and it's a bit of an indulgence, but um, death row meal. What would your last meal on earth be? Um, you know, that's a very common question. I know it is, for, but it's kind of fun. Sense. There's a whole book about it, and... um. You know, and we're in that book, so I'm going to use my answer from that book. The, the death row meal is, you know, burgers, burgers with a fried egg on top, some delicious red wine, good yes. friends, good yeah. family. You know, um, I like a burger. You gonna have fries with that? Oh, uh, sure, <laughs> sure. Let's live a little. You know, I don't have to worry if I'm not coming back, right? Why not? Yeah, I like a French fry, a good fry, absolutely. And what's the wine, just out of curiosity? Some good red wine, you know, something that goes well with a burger, something not too heavy. I think I like a like Medium a pinot, wine. like yeah, a yeah. pinot. Pinot goes well with burgers for me, I think. With a bit with of forest. cocktail, too, maybe to start. Do a pisco sour or something. Anyway. I'm, I'm more of a gin guy. I'd go gin, yes. maybe a Negroni or something like that oh, to start. Yeah, now you're talking. Yeah. I'd probably just get stuck on the Negronis and say, <laughs> well, can I just keep drinking those? You can if it's, <laughs> la- if it's last call. Wally, thank you so much for having a chat. It's a shame we didn't get more time to expand on some of these ideas, but I understand that your time is very, very short here, and I really, really do appreciate it on behalf of the listeners you taking the time to have a chat to us. It's our pleasure. Thank you very much, and we look forward to being here for the rest of the week, cooking some good food for for the good people of Melbourne. Thank you. I look forward to seeing what you're going to do to the donut. All right, we will. (laughs) (laughs) See you, Wally. Crazy, crazy music there, Jed. Absolutely. (laughs) What are they doing? (laughs) Um, If you've just tuned in, yes, we are enjoying the glory that is uh, Sunday Arvo. Um, The first very cool Sunday Arvo. I think we can say that uh, the seasons have changed. And uh, we're joined in here by Jesse Gurner, who's uh, just taking a photograph of a book that I got in. Click. Yes. Does it go click? It looks amazing. It does look. um, Sharon Flynn, Ferment for Good. So that's um, not out yet. Uh, will be soon, but if you're interested in fermentation and you haven't bought the Sandor Cats, which is the the tome, I suppose, the um, the big one to go for. Oh, that's coming out anyway. Uh, Jed's in the house looking after the thing, driving the, the bus. Buttons. Thanks, buddy. My pleasure. Yeah, it's good. It's good and, uh, and we've got uh, somebody on the phone who's uh, <laughs> got his gumboots on. That was an evil laugh, wasn't it? <laughs> Did you hear that, that Duncan? Duncan? Duncan Buchanan. Hello. Duncan Buchanan. Hey, um, listen, we might uh, talk it out while uh, maybe try and find him again, Jed. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I've offended him, Jesse. Yeah, maybe yeah. I have. Maybe I shouldn't have gone. <laughs> he's been hit by lightning, perhaps. Well, he's um, flooded away. He's he's waiting out there. The the fact is, while we uh, while we get him organised, is that a lot of winemakers have been saying this is like a normal season again. Not like last year where it was stupidly hot and everything ripened at the very, very same time and everybody was scrambling for fermentation tanks and stuff like that. Yeah. Wasn't good, was it? No, no. 
<clears throat> I did a, a gig on Sunday at Rootstock and it was, I had a quick chat to What's some Rootstock? It's a wine, like a probably a more natural wine sort of festival that yes. they tour around Australia with. But they they've um, did it as part of uh, Melbourne Food and Wine this year. Mm. Um, so they have a bunch of chefs from all over Australia to match with winemakers. Yes. Um, but yeah, there was a, it was interesting. There was a bit of disease and. But good seasons. But anyway. good seasons. Anyway, we hear. Uh, I've got ambiance. We've got ambiance at the winery. We have a winemaker who's working hard. He's got his gum boots on, ladies and gentlemen. No, I'm not Duncan I'm not doing Buchanan. Anything. And they're green gum boots too, because he's a very upmarket chap, and he's just come out of the Range Rover. <laughs> Duncan Buchanan, very, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon there, Cam Smith, and I tell you what, I'm not working hard right now. I've done my hard work this morning, and I'm going home to cook a lamb shoulder. Darr, Jim Bob. That means if you get that on soon, you'll be eating by about four o'clock, perhaps? Uh, I've got a kid, so yeah, make it 5.30, something like that. Yes, and uh, what are you putting with your lamb shoulder? Don't know yet. I'm going to go pretty simple. I think just a bit of rosemary from the garden, salty pip, peps, bit of oil, bit of stock, cover it up, t- tell it to behave itself, and then just eat. No, no wine in there. Oh yeah, I'll put a splash of wine in. Aye. I don't want get, to get too techy about it. All right. Well, uh, um, I'm looking forward to that. An afternoon off cam. It's going to be nice. Right. Hey, and we need to we need to pursue this death row wines thing. I think that's great. Oh, death row wines. So that was uh, you were just listening to Wiley Dufresne. Um, yeah. And we were talking about death row meals, and in fact, he sort of went, dude, there's been a book about that. And I went, yeah, I know, it's good. Um, if you look it up, it's called The Last Supper. It's very good. What would your death row meal and wine be? I'd look, I, I'll say lamb shoulder because it would take ages to cook and that gives me longer to live. Yes. And, then, and it would be anything out of Nebuchadnezzar because then it would be a 15-litre bottle of wine that I've got to make it all the way through, so I'll buy myself at least three or four hours. So, so this is last supper just to sort of buy time. Pretty much. Yes. And, get, and drink responsibly and get wanked, but I drink responsibly, of course. Well, no, but you don't have to. This is the great thing about the last meal. It's sort of like, as I, I think I asked Wiley, do you want fries with that? And he went, well, pfft, may as well. I mean. <laughs> oh, exactly. I want cigarettes with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, actually, look, you've, um, you've opened up this chapter. Just uh, we've, uh, I don't know if you've met Jesse. Jesse Gurner, um, if I can introduce you to the incredible Duncan Buchanan. Hello, Duncan. How are you? Yeah. Uh, all the better for hearing your voice, mate. How are you, more importantly? Oh, Very mate. charming. Yeah, he's a um, charming guy. What would yeah, your yeah. last meal be, just out of curiosity? I like the way you've gone there, Duncan, with getting a bit more time and a bit more booze out of it. Just <laughs> yeah. um, spend the inevitable. Yeah, I might go for a really hard <laughs> cut to cook, like a cheek, possibly, or something like that. That's, mm. you know, I want 12 hours. Yes. Yeah, and, uh, and you've got to harvest the cheek yourself, too. You can't go getting it delivered. You've got to kill yeah. the cow. Bloody hell. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'd want to know you know, the cow's best friend's name. Yes, um, indeed. Uh, uh, yeah, and then, I don't know, I'd probably, you'd probably want that sort of sticky with all the fat and you just want to just lay it on, wouldn't you? Mm. On your last, yeah, I so, completely agree. What are you yeah. thinking? Oh, look, I, I mean, I probably... I, I cook it a lot, but, like, with a Pedro Jimenez, I, I reckon. I was kind of wondering you know, if like you go some, to the PX. Yeah, 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 like on a pork cheek, possibly. Mm. Just, um... And then all the cheese in the world. Yes. Exactly. All the cheese in the world. Yeah. I want one of everything. <laughs> Keep it coming. <laughs> and then sort of, you know, work my way through sherry, you know... <laughs> 
possibly um, <laughs> starting with, you know... And, uh, they're not gonna, Jesse, they're not going to have to kill you by the end of this because you'll be dead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, well, that would we'll be, be the point, wouldn't it? You just you enjoy yourself all the way through. Yeah, exactly. Um, it sort of reminds me... Whiskey, possibly. It kind of reminds me of the old movie Le Grand Boeuf where these... <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous premise where these guys sort of... They're just sick of living, so they decide to eat themselves to death. It was sort of this seventies thing. It was very brown, and there was a lot of pastry. But um, yeah, um, but did, yeah, it, that did was, they achieve it in the end? Uh, yeah, pretty much. One farted himself to death. I seem to remember. <laughs> oh, but, is, yeah, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. There will be flatulence, uh, <laughs> fatal flatulence. You could say. Um, um, very quick. Where are we, dude? I mean, have, have you guys finished yet, or what? Kind of sort of, but not really. Right. Um, okay. Kind of sort of, but not really. That you know, that means no. no. If I can paraphrase, no. <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Look, most most things have been picked. I must admit. There's um, I took in the last of our fruit down here on the peninsula for the Scorpos on. Who are the Scorpos? And um, everything's looking good, but we just got those. You know, these little pockets of Shiraz and that sort of stuff sitting out there that will. Well, I think it will ripen, but it's going to take. I think take it will ripen. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, been, it's been good for. It's been a good for, season for these things because, as we we're talking about earlier in the week, Cam, it's been a mm. vintage of two halves. Mm. People mm. had things right before the rain; they got them off, and yeah, they're in good shape. Yep. But that rain sort of halted things. It was weird. You get this. You get this momentum, and you, your fruits coming in, and you want to just go and get it processed. And you, all of a sudden, the rain comes and it cools down. Everything just stops. Boom! It's the handbrake. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. But it's, it's, it has worked in our favour. Well, yeah, I think it's worked in our favour in a lot of cases because the varieties that we do enjoy a bit of um, bit of time on the vine, a bit of time for those more delicate flavours to sort of you know, produce produce themselves. So that cooler weather, uh, it was relative. The rain was a bit of a bugger. Well, what about today? Yeah. And the, what, this is this can't be good for people in the vineyard. Seriously, no, no, it's not. But nah. it depends. On the, 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 this is something I was chatting with. Um, you know, dirty stinking Barney Flanders that I work with. Dirty stinking <laughs> Barney Flanders. How I love that man. Um, the garage Everyone sister. loves Barney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he, yeah from Garage East. He, him and I were chatting about this just before. It's, it's been a real season for viticulturalists. Those people who have put the time into their vineyards are reaping the rewards because, oh. because so because um, the fruit has spent so much time under nets, mm. and you can't get in there. If you had a tiny hint of disease before you put your nets on, mm. it may have worked its way through. But if you've had a fairly clean vineyard before you put your nets on, the, the, your grapes have just been happily hanging there, ripening away, and just you know developing some really lovely flavours. So, I think. Overall quantities might be down a bit, mm. but I think the overall, if you if you if you're on your viticulture early, I think it'll be good. Canopy management uh, will will see you through. We hope so. Well, Is that so? Am I simplifying too much? So no, 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 that's exactly right. I mean, I was looking at I had the Scorpos over this morning. Uh, this morning, we're looking through some of the wines that we'd made, and the stuff that um, the. <sighs> The fruit are coming in good shape, so they're already starting to look a fair bit like wine. And that sounds a bit simplistic, but it's true because you've we haven't had to do too much to the ferments to make them, you know, produce wine. Yeah. So they just they start looking to they start looking more like finished wine a lot earlier. I've said this a million times. You work so much harder to make crap wine because you've got to rescue things. But if you put your energy into the vineyard, 
yeah. and make sure that your, your fruit's in good shape. You know, the wines, the wines tend to look after themselves with a bit of due diligence from us, of course. Mm. Not trying to talk myself out of a job. No, 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 no. But we, I've, I've heard you guys talk about this and the, the whole thing is not to intervene too much because, yeah, you don't want to be... It's, it's that old... All right, here's a cliche. Ounce of prevention's worth a pound of cure. Oh, yeah, I can talk in cliches for the cows. Yeah, come on, bring it on. <laughs> Cliche can, that's what they call me. Hey, <laughs> eh? But, no, but no, that, is very, that, is, that is very, very true. So I think, um, I think we're staring down the barrel of some pretty good wines from 2017, as long as, you know, the, as long as the viticulture was good to start with. But, it, it has, but it's just, as I was saying before, it is a little bit frustrating when, you know, you start to pick and all of a sudden the, uh, the handbrake gets reefed on. It's like, oh, good Lord. Yeah, no, and, and, and you know what, Duncan, it's like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just hear people talking on the corner, you know, and everywhere there's just this hubba bubba 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 of just this constant talk about people saying, how's the Riesling going? You know, Cam, I had to break your heart. What? But I didn't make it. I, I didn't make any reasoning. Oh, I can't. Sorry. I can't take the piss out of you now, then. <laughs> anymore. <laughs> yes, you can. It's uh, this unloved grape that no one's really interested in in drinking. That I give you <laughs> such a hard time. But you didn't do any reasoning. You finally no, listened to me. Good on you, mate. No. <laughs> listen to you, Cam. I don't know about. I don't know that, about man. that. But, but listen, if you're running out of reasons to, pe- to take the piss out of me, I do have a very big nose. Okay. Um, so, what do you think? So, uh, uh, so flick the switch back to serious. Um, Riesling can be great, especially my favourite thing is uh, a leek tart, for instance, with lots of uh, bechamel. Love it, love a Riesling with that. But what are the wines, the varieties that are going to shine this year? Uh, I think, Alex, I reckon the Pinots and Chards will do well. Like I said, as long as people have looked after their vineyards, I'm seeing some really, really good results out of Pinots and Chards. And Pinot Gris too, I must admit. I think any of the... Um, any of the cool climate stuff uh, should do well. Mm. Western Vic, I've seen some great Shiraz come out of the Grampians. Really, really, yeah, some spanking Shiraz come out of the Gramps. Yep. So they're going to be looking good. But Good year for um, Prosecco up in the King Valley, for instance? Couldn't tell you. I haven't got Couldn't there. tell you. Wouldn't even know. So, sorry, mate. I mean, I, I, That's I, all right. I could lie, but um, yeah, no, no. I don't know. That's I okay. Heard, I haven't heard much. Haven't heard much out of the the King Valley at all this year. Sorry, I, sh- I should be onto that for you, Cam, but I weren't. No, because it's just another one of those <laughs> questions without notice, which I know you'll give me that look askance when you uh, when we see each other again. <laughs> but um, exactly. hey, no, I love the questions without notice. They put me on the spot. They're good. Well, I like the idea of the lamb shoulder this afternoon. I think a lot of Melbourne probably would as we uh, we scramble around and maybe look for some firewood for the. You got a fire going. You're going to have yeah, a fun. I I will, I will, yeah, we'll have, that, uh, we'll have that on the go when I get home. And I think it's just a good afternoon to catch up with the fam and just remember what the couch looks like in the daylight. Ooh, it sounds good. Well, look, we're going we're gonna to have to go because it's, uh, the hour has come to a close. Duncan, yeah. a delight as always to have a chat to you. you yeah, thank you so yeah, much. Thanks, pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Have a good afternoon and I'll catch you, catch you at a later date. Done. All right. Uh, Jesse Ger- Scoop Gurner. <laughs> thanks, Duncan. Nice to, nice to chat. He's gone, man. He's, He's just gone. Gonna, <laughs> straight out there. I'm gonna, I'm, the shoulder's already in the oven. Lamb shoulder's doing it. All right, Jesse, well, we need to go. We're <sighs> off to uh, to Bomber for a function. We are. We're going to end on the rooftop. This is going to be interesting. <laughs> Blow away. Yeah, we're gonna, I'm going to bring some rope, I think. We'll tie yeah, everyone down. Tie everyone down. Get the, uh, get the orchestra straps going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it might be the go. Um, Jen, one of those uh, big hats that those fishermen wear. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Tied That's down and some sou'wester gear. Yeah, um, some it Velcro. Is, Yes, it's one o'clock. Uh, it is time for Sunday lunch. 
Chit McCartney, it's been awesome having you here. We'll see you next week. And uh, we've got... Oh, it's Easter Sunday. We'll have eggs. And uh, Simon Winkler from Triple R will, re- re- will regale us about his uh, chili-eating exploits. Ooh. And Dr. Renee Beale um, from Melbourne University will be coming in to have a chat. It's going to be chilled out. Why don't you join us with some eggs? We're over time. God, nearly a whole minute. Better get out of here. Sunday lunch. It's afternoon here on 3 RFM. Why would you be anywhere else? See you later. This has been a podcast from 3 R 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.